0: My guest today is the sales director of Tivity, and his name is Andy Tatlock. Andy, you're very welcome to the podcast. Hi Paul, thanks for having me. My pleasure, Andy. Andy, uh, we've not met before. I'm curious, I, I know you went to university in Leeds and you have a, a Northern accent from what I can detect. Can you tell me a little bit about where you grew up and what that was like?
1: Yeah, I did go to um, university in Leeds, but it—it's uh, North Manchester is where mm. I—I I, kind of grew up. So, um, born in the northwest, moved to, to uh, North Manchester at a very early age. So, a very um, a very normal upbringing, if you can call it that. Um, you know, two um, two wonderful parents, only child. Uh, stayed in uh, Manchester for all my life up until through the usual high school college and then moved to um moved to Leeds for university following the crowd really at the time i had um i had a couple of options on for what university i was going to go to but uh, a big group of us were going to to Leeds at the time and it felt like the the sociable move um who knows how that would have panned out but it's uh, it's it led me to where i am today so so yeah. all good Coming from Manchester, were you accepted in
0: Leeds? Because <laughs> that is a bit of rivalry there.
1: Yeah, it's not. Uh, it wasn't as bad. I mean, back then, you know, I'm a Man United supporter, so the uh, it was probably more of an issue than it is today. We're no, uh, we're not, we're not that good anymore. But yeah, th- there was no real issues. And as I said, it was there was quite a big group of us that were going from the local area to to Leeds, and you know, we made, made a good good group of mates in Leeds, and was there for just over four and a half years. Mm. You said you were an only child. Yes. Yeah.
0: How, in terms, of how have you noticed, or how, let me ask you this way. Do any of the only child stereotypes apply? And if so, which ones?
1: <laughs> um, stereotypes being selfish. Is that one of the stereotypes? No, that I don't me know me No, it's, <laughs>
0: no I, I, it's, it's actually, it's funny. There's a book I have called Birth Birth Order. And I yeah, found it yeah. fascinating because it said that something like twenty-one out of twenty-three Apollo astronauts were all eldest child and the other two were firstborns. And the, the kind of stereotype is that the only child is like is like a firstborn on steroids and that they tend to be uh strong, determined um uh, leaders. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's others. <laughs>
1: Depends who's describing the. Yeah, I, I, I understand it. Yeah, I get it. I think, I think you know, ultimately, um, being an only child. You know, when I was growing up, I probably didn't like the fact I was an only child. You know, I think you think is you, you are growing up, and when you're at that age, you see a lot of your friends and their brothers and sisters, and you know, bigger families. And it, I'm an only child within what is quite a small family as well. Outside of that, so it's all, it's always been quite a, a tight-knit group but I think that within the family and I think that that's kind of stayed with me obviously as I've as I've grown and, and you know progressed into into a into a career I think you know ultimately it's very focused I had a lot of support you know there was resources there to help me it was all about um you know making sure that I made the best of myself making sure I made the right decisions I guess ultimately within a single child environment you know the attention is probably not shared and it, it can be quite focused and that can be quite intense as well i guess mm. um mm. but <laughs> um, you know i think i think typically i would criticize that when it came to family holidays and i was you know the only person there on the beach with no one to to play with or anything like that going back when obviously but um but no i think you know i it probably made me rely more on my friends mm. uh, you, you know i think i've always had a, a good group of friends that mm. um has not necessarily changed that much you go through periods in your life where you meet loads of different people and you know people come and go for different reasons but I've always had a pretty strong kind of core to that, that 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 then obviously met kind of new people as as it progressed
0: mm. i'm curious to know by the way because you mentioned I had this image of you on a beach as a kid and to my mind it's either going to drive you towards going and getting outside yourself and outside your comfort zone and meeting other people because you're on your own or because you're on your own, you tend to stay there. Um, How was it
1: for you? Um, I think, I think at the time it was probably, I was probably content or learned to be content with me and, and the family. I think a little bit there are, there are times definitely when being an only child can force you into certain situations that can take you outside of your yeah. comfort zone I think um you know if I think about what I've done and we kind of talked about at the start if I think about what I've done as I've as I've grown and you know I've I've got a close with the friends I've I went to friends I went to university with friends I've been traveling with friends you know I think I've always looked at, at, at my friends in in that kind of close environment, you know, not, not the cliche as, as a family or as a brother or anything like that, but, you, you know, you, you have a sense of um, friendship and, and loyalty to, to, to your mates, I guess, that, that definitely has stayed with me.
0: Yeah. Were you ambitious when you were younger?
1: Yeah, I, I would say so. Uh, I, I still am. You know, I, I would say that's not necessarily just a, an, an ambitious, um, a, a youthful trait, should I say. I think I always had, without really knowing what I wanted to do, I always had ambitions. I just wanted to do something, you know, successful and be successful. Um, you know, I, I probably danced around a little bit the things that I felt I wanted to do when I was a kid. And, you know, that could be across a whole bunch of industries and a whole bunch of roles, depending upon the flavour at that, that particular age. But, you know, one thing I've always had was ambition to to do well, but also better myself, not less on my laurels. You know, and I think that definitely helped me in, Kind of my career to make sure that you're you're pushing yourself, you're pushing others, but also you're always trying to be the best version of yourself. I guess.
0: Were there any clues when you were growing up that you'd one day end up in sales?
1: Um, it's a funny one actually, because you know I genuinely believe that no one grows up wanting to be in business development. Like you know, it's just. You don't think about that. And we've got a a recruitment campaign at the moment as well, I am in Timothy, which is tongue in cheek, which is, you know, when you are younger, no one dreams of a role in sales or business development. I think there are personality and characteristic traits that naturally can make you lean towards that level of, or that role. I don't think they're necessarily always essential for a good salesperson, but um, I think if you're, social, outgoing, you know, you're financially orientated, you want to do nice things. I wouldn't necessarily say I'm materialistic, probably far away from that, but I like to earn money, I like to provide, I like to build a something within my, my personal life. So I think I think there was a hunger and a drive there that can lend itself to fail as well. Um without actually ever really stopping to think about that was the career path I would want to take at some point.
0: Mm. Um, you mentioned there a moment ago about sales and business development as, as almost it sounded like they're they're separate entities, and I'm curious to know if you see them as separate roles or are they just different roles on the same spectrum?
1: I think there are you know you could argue on one hand it can be terminology you know there's there's, there's different different very similar roles can be called, you know, a sales director, business development director, for for example. I think, you know, they they can ultimately be the same thing depending upon what organization you're talking to. I think there is a, you know, if I think about business development, I think about more of a hunter, new business, you know, creating something from nothing almost type of uh, mentality and focus. Whereas I think sales could probably be, Maybe more encompassing, you can have service sales, you know, customer service managers in sales, you can have account managers in sales. And, and you know, like that it's probably how I would define the key characteristics and skill set of those two different roles in terms of the function they're trying to provide in that particular business. Um, but again, you could argue it could just be terminology depending on the type of organization yeah. you're dealing with.
0: Yeah, I have wondered, is it a function also of company size? Because I remember my first proper sales job was in a startup company. And there there was there was no distinction in roles. It was, here's a list of companies, your job is to bring in some revenue from them. Yeah. Uh, and marketing as a function in that business was one person who basically got the brochures made and the website and yeah. PowerPoints. So there was no... There was no, there was a clear line, I should say, between marketing and sales, but then there was no dividing roles within that, but there couldn't be because too small.
1: I think that starts to become more, um, I think that starts to become more prominent depending upon the type of business that you're in. I think that really does resonate with me because if I think about my kind of probably journey and, and background within sales um, per se, I think, you know, when my first, proper job, if you want to call it that, was a sales role in a startup, you know, and and it was probably more, um, I think probably startups a little bit of a uh, disjustice to where the organization was at the time. I think it was a, you know, a startup that was very much into scale up, very similar to where I am now at Tivity actually. But, um, you know, when I joined as a, as a, a salesperson in that business going on 13, 14 years ago, you know, it was a, sales executive do whatever we need you to do and whatever you can to take this business on and you know at that point that may mean to to get into the detail it might mean cold calling direct customers it might mean speaking to existing customers to see if we could farm cross-sell that, to that organization or it might have been working with channel partners in a wholesale reseller agency type um arena which was actually really good for me because from day one i wasn't necessarily pigeonholed or restricted to one type of sale or one type of sales process or one type of customer um as we grew over time um the natural progression for us was to start to not silo, and that's quite a negative word but was to start to structure the team in a you know there's a focus in new business there's a focus on account management there's a focus on on channel partnerships. And, you know, I think that's the natural evolution, um, as a business gets a bit bigger, but, it, you know, in a startup or, or a scale up, it's about just moving the business on and growing the organisation and getting it to a point where those types of structural considerations are a nice problem to have, you know, because you've got the customer base, you've got the revenue streams, you know, you've got a, a sales formula as such that works. Um so you know, that that that's definitely a point that that, that I agree with. And as I said, one that I think has actually put me in a pretty good or gave me a good ground in any way, in terms of my, my sales career. Talk to me then about your transition from
0: being a, a producer, sales, where you're carrying the bag, to leadership position and what you learned about yourself in that transition.
1: Um, it was a sink or swim transition. I think that's definitely how I was given the role at that time. If I think about going back, you know, 10, 12 years and, and even more in terms of that, this, um, this process, you know, I think I was seen as a, um, I think I was seen as a successful sales number carrying person, um, which sometimes feels like the natural progression of, you know, you've done well in this, but then you want to, you know, how do we keep that person or how do we, um, we get more out of them. You know, not every good salesperson makes a good good manager, as, as we know. Um, it was, you know, we've, we've got one person doing this. We want three people doing this. Let's make him the manager. You know, it was that kind of mentality. And, you know, back mm-hmm. then as a kind of early to mid 20-year-old kid, um, you know, who had only really been in the industry for 18 months, you know, less than probably, In in the tech sales, it it was very sink or swim within what was quite a high performance, ruthless environment. Um, You know, you had the support and the resource to help with that. But a lot of it was self-learning. A lot of it was learning on the job. I think it's interesting to look at it back then compared to now, because you think that there's this magic formula of sales leadership or there's a certain way you have to do it. But, you know, if anything, the process I went through and that was just one progression from you know number carrying person into a management level of some position um you know it's what you make it and it's it's what you can learn along the journey and you know Mm -hmm. in that time i've been through several different management roles to you know ultimately a board level exec member in my in my previous and current role which you know you, you're grounded well within all of that but at the same way you're finding your own way and finding your own route of, of making the mistakes you know you, you make a lot of mistakes and you have to make a lot of mistakes I think to, um, to get there. Yeah uh, it sounds like
0: you were quite young when you went into your first manager role.
1: Yeah so I would have been yeah. mid-20s.
0: Yeah, yeah, that 20, is quite young. And you 20, talked about mistakes along the way. Is there anything you could share with us as in mistakes that you learned some valuable lessons from?
1: Yes, um, probably early on, I think um, there was, um, not, not necessarily empathy, but I would say realizing where people are on their journey um, and that you have to take people on that journey. Um, I think very early on, And there's probably shades of it, you know, I'm not perfect by any stretch of the imagination and there's shades of it that I still try and work on. And, you know, as you you get a bigger team or you change business or you're in a different field, um, there's that kind of not everyone knows it as you know it and almost pulling it back to say, right, what's the baseline and almost how are we going to get them there rather than just because, you might think you're plowing on at a hundred miles an hour, you know, it's to make sure that people are on that journey and not getting um, too disengaged and or, or, or struggling, you know, not, not able mm. to make that, that journey as well. And I think that's something that probably, probably I wouldn't say happened all the time, but I think as an early manager, you know, you, you kind of don't know what you don't know. Mm. Um, you only know how you would have done it in that, in that, in that position as a salesperson. And, mm. you know, obviously not everyone is, is the same. And as I've kind of built and built different sales teams, you know, some people have worked out, some people haven't worked out, you know, you do it within different um, environments, you know, as your organization changes, it's new challenges. As you change business, it's new challenges. And I think you just start to get a bit more comfortable and kind of well-rounded in um, that area where, you know, you've got to take people on the journey as opposed to think, think that you can just drag them there, which I think in the early stages was probably more where, kind of where my mind was at
0: okay uh in what you're doing currently and what
1: motivates you the most um bill a couple of things um if i was to say with Tivity now it's it's building something mm. um you know where kind of i left um i wouldn't necessarily say a comfortable role but you know i i was I, I progressed quite well within the previous organization, you know, from a, and I joined a startup, right. Or, or a business really early on in its in its infancy. And, you know, as the business was growing, you know, and I was contributing towards that success, naturally your, your, um, you know, your internal currency and the way people look at you and, you know, how, what impact you can have can grow with the organization as well. So I progressed pretty well within that, but when it got to a point where I knew I needed a new challenge, mm-hmm. um, it wasn't necessarily about what can pay me the most. You know, I am, I am definitely, you know, financial reward is definitely part of it. But I think if I look back to what I've enjoyed over my sales career, it's taking something probably just at the start or imperfect and growing it to a a place that, you know, you can actually say, I helped build that. And and you know, Tivity provided me with that opportunity. You know, I'm kind of five, five, six months in now. But you know, the business is still in its 12th, 13th month of trading. So you know it's a very it's a very new business, or so was definitely a very new business when, when I joined it and was seeing some, you know, some pretty impressive growth. But um, there has to be that sense of building something. I couldn't necessarily see myself walking into a one of these corporates or a particularly large organization. My background has always been smaller, ambitious, quite aggressive growth organizations that you know, naturally you see that you're making an impact and you're changing things and you're not necessarily looking for the answers, you, you're forced to try and find them I guess I've often
0: wondered can people who thrive in a large corporate environment can they also thrive in a startup and vice versa, what are your thoughts on
1: that? Um, it's really tricky it's really tricky and and you know I guess if I think about real life examples of these you know we've and these this comes back to mistakes, right? That 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 I've made and I've seen other people make, which is you, you're looking for people to help, especially salespeople, you're looking for people to help contribute and take you to that next level almost. And you know, I've had I've had instances where, you know, we are an internet technology business, right? So we, we play within the the telco space if, if if you want to call it that. You know, I've had instances where we brought big hitters from BT. For example, or another organization like that, you know, and it's like these guys are going to be able to do this, 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 and this. And they walk into an organization and they quickly see, I haven't got this and I haven't got that. And who's going to do this? And what about this resource? And before you know it, whilst they were probably very successful in their in their previous company, they're not used to performing without the resources and supporting network that that's available to them. Um, and if I think about today, right? So we are aggressively trying to scale up Mm. the sales team to underpin and support the growth that we're seeing and that we're projecting over the next 12 months. You know, I rightly have an eye for that reason on the type of people that we want to bring in from a sales perspective because they've got to be up for the fight. They're in the trenches. You know, we don't have all the answers. I'm looking for people to bring in and talk to me about problem solving. These are the answers. Move us on. You know, is really important. Mm. We've got to keep moving forward. You know, we don't want people to come in and and kind of just think that they are going to coast along and contribute towards this. You know, there's no riding the wave. You've got to create the wave. And, And interestingly, I've seen in sales leadership, I've definitely seen that kind of magnified probably 10 times where you've got, you know, again, very experienced, very senior people who have been in larger corporates or enterprise where, you know, they marshal the business the business kind of just happens to a degree. I mean, there's, there's obviously peaks and troughs and there's certain things that that happen, but at a sales leadership perspective, they marshal the numbers and they marshal the team. Um, you know, when I've then worked with people like that who come in, you know, you you need to do the doing. And that doesn't necessarily mean picking up the phone and ringing a customer to, to pitch a service or sell to them, but it means you've got to get into the detail where, historically, you know, all your experience tells you, you can probably take a backwards step. It's
0: Funny, I was, I was smiling as you were speaking, because so much of what you were saying rang so many bells for me. I worked in a startup 22 years ago. And it's like the story you're telling is identical, even the language, you you mentioned big hitters. And it was funny because I was the second sales employee, in fact, the first full-time one in this company. And again, it was a startup, what I was, what I was okay at was, I didn't like picking the phone up, but I would do it. And <clears throat> what I remember distinctly was our CEO decided about a year into the business that we needed some big hitters and they were his words. And so he hired these guys from companies and three or four of them. And I remember we were on this at, at the, again, we were selling into the telco space. So it was at the, it was in Cannes at the time, the big 3GSM Congress. right? And we had this small little booth at across the way, you know, there was Motorola and all the big companies with their massive multi-million-dollar booths. But it was, it was, it was amazing to me. Cause you know, when, when you're in a startup, you have to, you have to be, a, you have to hustle a lot. And when you'd see people from telia or sonora these companies going by with badges you, you know i would follow them up to where you know the coffee dock and sidle up you say oh i see you're from telia hi i'm paul you know you, you did that yeah but these big hitters they would stand around waiting for people to come to them and they wouldn't move and they describe themselves as oh i'm a closer and i'm kind of going okay but for you to close somebody has to open and yeah. And there seems to be maybe a, a gap between the, the startup, where you really have to hustle, where, and then the big company, where you can afford to have those siloed uh, yeah, skill and, sets.
1: And, and I think I think with that, I mean, if someone's using the phrase "big hitters," that's probably the red flag anyway, the warning sign. You know, yeah. if someone if someone says that, I mean, you know, you, you're probably not heading in the right direction. I think I think ultimately it's about bringing in people with a level of experience who. Are senior enough to have you know got the scars and the wounds of winning and losing business if we break mm. it down but at the same time understand that they're not above certain activity right so if I think about the type of people that that I've employed or, or I'm still looking to employ within my my current role which you know as I said we're a startup going on scale up is I'm looking for people that are relatively senior side of the of the markets, you know, your, you know, business, business, um, development director, new business director role. And, you know, we, the the kind of sales model and the sales formula we're working to is we've got, you know, nothing groundbreaking. We've got SDR type resources creating meetings for these types of roles. But in between these types of meetings, these guys are on the phones, like they're doing their own lead gen, you know, they're, it's a constant kind of, it's not enough. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think, I think if you went, or I was fishing in the larger mid-market enterprise pool for people in this space, I think there would be a bit of a righteousness, or a bit of a, you know, I don't, I don't make cold calls, or I don't do this, I don't do that, you know, where, where the people, and I think that, by the way, that's fine for some organisations, you know, where you're a known quantity, a market leader, you know, you get a lot of inbound leads, you know, that, that, that has its place, um, where, where kind of my background with startups and smaller organizations is, you know, that's a luxury that you just don't have. You, mm. You've got, you've got to have everyone firing on every cylinder all mm. of the time um, to try and change the outcome, because if they don't do it, you know, there's not a lot of people who are going to do it. Um, sure. So yeah. Yeah. Who inspires you the most Andy? Um, it's a good question. I'd probably say there's, there's a few for different reasons, obviously you look at family um you know if I think about my my mum for example, so she's retired now, but she was she was successful within the corporate world um so you know she rose to deputy chief exec within a kind of relatively large healthcare organization it wasn't a sales background or anything like that more kind of operational but um you know she she was obviously very successful if I think about kind of on that journey, you know, I have memories twenty three years ago, twenty four years ago of um her doing a full time university degree uh where did she go? Sheffield university, you know, but she only did it after I'd been put to bed. So, you know, it's kind so it's kind of like, you know, she wanted to better herself. And I yeah, think cool. I think I I don't, you know, the drivers, I was very young then obviously, but I think there was a driver's if she wanted to better herself, it was going to be better for for her career so if you think about someone who is working you know full-time in a in a in a, a relatively decent kind of high-pressure job and then takes on a, a university degree and does that basically after the hours of nine o'clock at, at night you, you know it's pretty it's pretty impressive and it's not a mm. it's not a kind of side project this is like three year you know three mm. year course so you see things like that and it, it does give you a, mm. a sense of probably focus work ethic um Things like that. So I'd say I'd say that's probably a an inspiration. Um, mm. I think broadly, and I'm not this, you know, not like not like others or just like others. Sorry, where you know I listen to a lot of businessy type podcasts, you know, the diverse CEO, all that kind of stuff, where you just want to hear successful people. Um, mm. And you know, I, I I like the part at the start of this where they've come from and they have nothing, and then suddenly it's the kind of they take something from that, and then they get the first round of funding, or you know, mm. those are the bits that really kind of, I guess, excite me and, and mm. motivate me. I, I, as I said, I've, I have no aspirations of being in an organisation with you know, ten thousand people, or, or probably even growing a business to that size. I think mm. it gets to a size where I'd probably think that that's, um, that's my my sweet spot. But, um, but yeah, I mean, you, you take motivation from those types of things. Mm. Would you
0: eventually like to have your own startup?
1: Um, yes. Yeah, I think I can see it. You know, I think the, the, there's, um, I can see it without really having any pressure on that. I think there's a, a, a natural evolution. I think, to be honest, where I am today, you know, I'm part of the exec team, you know, it's, there is a founder, obviously in the business, but I'm, I feel like I am driving. and part of that startup. Um, you know, I don't, I'm not necessarily just an employee within, within that organization. So, you know, I believe in what we do, and I therefore then feel like it is partly my business, and that's the way I mm-hmm. want to treat. And and obviously, um, you know, what what motivates me to to make the most of it. I think I have no. I, I try not to look a million miles into the future mm-hmm. um, with this. You know, I, I, as I said, I'm very ambitious, and I kind of have an idea of where I would like to get to. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I believe that you've got to kind of break that down. Mm. bit by bit by if that makes sense
0: whether it's through uh activity exit or even post that you decide to do something but either way you find yourself in a situation down the line from now through some sort of exit and you don't need to work again yeah you're financially independent.
1: what would you do with yourself um it is it is an outcome i think about now because obviously there is a there is a, a place I want to get activity to. And naturally, you know, you, whilst I'm not necessarily thinking about the next career move, I think about what would I do under certain circumstances. Mm. Um I, I think I would um I, I it wouldn't be too long before I'd have to do something. You know, I, I think there'll be some relaxing and there would be well, who knows how that situation will be at that point. You know, it it it, it could be a scenario where I don't have to work again, you know, who 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 knows? But I feel like I would need to do something and it's probably more kind of in line with that aspiration to just, to just grow something, you know, take Mm. nothing and turn it into something. Um, you know, you can say that, and obviously you're, I would consider myself quite entrepreneurial, but I'm, you know, I've obviously not created a business and I've not, um, you know, been the the founder of an organization Mm. one day, I think I could be, um, yeah, I mean, it depends. It depends how quickly the family would get sick of me. Yeah. I guess So I was doing nothing.
0: Yeah, so you don't see yourself playing golf every day. Uh, throughout I, I,
1: retirement. I'd, I'd like to. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to. Although I think, um, I think if I was retiring late thirties, you know, I'd probably get a few a, a few dodgy looks anyway. So I, I, yeah, I think yeah, yeah. I, I think I think there is there's definitely something I would want to go on to get to. But I yeah. think you know that that's the exciting part about yeah. activity. I you know I firmly believe in what we're doing, the products, you know, how disruptive we can be. And whilst I might be breaking down the, you know, the next three years, looks like yep. this, Who's to say where that could get to. Yeah. I year?
0: have a theory anyway, most of us in business have a sense that we're all involved in projects. And at certain times in your career, all of those projects are financed. They, they have to pay for themselves. Yep. And as you get a little bit older and you don't need the money, you can afford to get involved in projects that, don't pay you anything and yeah. maybe your attachment to them isn't quite as strong. Absolutely. But there's but there's still projects with goals and yeah. people and yeah. I think that whole idea of people getting a watch at sixty five is,
1: is gone. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I certainly and I think that's it's a really interesting point because, you know, if you think about ninety nine point nine percent of us, you know, you you you're told you grow up you wanna Get a job. You need to go to college. You need to go to uni. You need to get a degree, and then you need to get a job. You know that I certainly had that. You know that was mm-hmm. my the encouragement that that I was given. And I think you know I I've, I've had a a little boy five six months ago. You know, and I I think about what how would I encourage him? And I think you know to your point, <clears throat> it's not about just getting in something that pays you for the next forty five years, and then you you know you take your pension. I think you've got to make more out of that and it's probably as i've got older and as i've worked in these types of organizations if you think about you know my the previous place i was at whilst i got in there dead early you know if i'd probably got in there 18 months two years before i'd be in a much different position financially than i am today because of naturally how these things work around yeah you know business transactions and 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 equity and whatnot so I do think that has to be part and it is part of my motivation. You know, I can't, I've got no desire to sit there and just take a salary for
0: 30 years
1: or another 30 years. I've got to feel like it's part of a a journey and that might be multiple journeys in that time.
0: Yeah, Uh, I, I don't know what your boy is going to be when he grows up, except I can be certain he'll probably be a
1: Manchester United fan. Well, I, I would like that. But, you know, if I was him, who knows? Because, you know, it's all about Man City nowadays, isn't it? So, I think... I think. If he came always as a City we, fan, yeah, what are yeah, you going to do? I, I know, I know. As, as much as, you know, myself and, and his granddad will, 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 will obviously be stirring him towards United. No, I think, I think that's the direction we, he obviously would take. But, yeah. who knows?
0: It's easy. You just take him to a few games when he's young and impressionable.
1: Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure Fast. that would work at the United Games, to be honest. I'm not sure you mean <laughs> there's nothing to impress them
0: these days. Exactly, exactly.
1: Yeah, they are going through a bit of a,
0: a, yeah. a rough patch at the moment, but they've been they there are. before many times, and they'll, they'll be fine. Um, if you were minister for education, Andy, and you could put any one subject as mandatory on the secondary school curriculum what would it be and
1: why? finance 100% finance. 100% 100% and what, and what i mean by that maybe fact, is that the right term what i mean by that is i think you are not taught about how to manage money and i don't mean that in a to prevent you from going blowing it you know mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think you need that type of, I think it's just about making smarter decisions with, mm. you know, the finance that you have. And I think, you know, spending most of my professional career in a private equity world and seeing how these organizations operate. And this is just at a professional level, right? I think mm. if you look out in the general society, you see, you know, stock shares, crypto, all this kind of stuff that, that is floating around and you see, you know, a lot of people making a lot of money in, very short space of time and, and and i just i just think there is definitely something to be said around how people how people are educated and how they manage their money at that age for the better you know i think when i first got into sales and you walk away with a pretty basic you know wage you you, you just look how you can spend it i mean you know that's, mm. that that's how 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 it how it worked back then but you know, if I look back and think if I'd have invested or if I'd have done something different. And then I do do that, I, I do that now, you know, albeit mm. with a mixed degree of results. But um, if you'd have said that to me kind of 15 years ago, you know, I feel like I'd probably mm. be in a much better position. And I think everyone could take lessons from that.
0: Yeah. I remember back oh, I was in my early 20s and hearing of this tip-off that there was some oil exploration company was going to do big and I remember going out and borrowing money putting it into it Uh, it was a month's salary basically I borrowed put into it it was 500 pounds at the time and I ended up dumping the shares at for 50 they just tanked and it reminded me a lot of what I see now in terms of like things like crypto and from my point of view i i wanted the quick win i Mm -hmm. wanted the shortcut to success i believe that i believe in this alchemy that and of course to your point that's not how the financial markets work some you know (laughs) somebody else knew what was going to happen there and in fact i should have listened to the broker because he said to me are you (laughs) sure you want to do this are you sure (laughs) and I, of course i i had made my mind up yeah of course it's easy money (laughs) And and I just wonder, do you see that as well with things like crypto, where people, younger people, and the reason why I'm thinking that I'm wondering when you say financial management, is it more of an understanding of markets and how these things work? And like for example, like crypto is really just gambling. That would be yeah. my perspective, by the way. Yeah. Um, whereas stocks and shares, it's also gambling, but there's there's a different story there. Um, yeah.
1: And I, and I think I think you know first and foremost, I am no expert in any of these fields right you know i'm not i'm not a crypto expert or a you know a, an expert in the stock market i think my point is more especially when i was growing up you know you 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 weren't a, a salary you were you know encouraged to save it in a bank account and would continue to add to that bank account and you might do that over a period of 10 15 20 years and you know after that 20 year period you've just got a bunch of cash starting a bank account you know what would that look like if you were encouraged or educated to do something different to that at a much earlier age? That may have been, you know, investing in property. It might be all the different types of, of routes there, and and I think that's, you know, obviously someone's upbringing and their family environment is, you know, going to mould that right. approach that you take. But given how finances. And money and you know all of this type of thing is is such a important part of the life in terms of not necessarily it's not the driver for everyone. People, mm. you know, some people um, don't think about that, but but ultimately mm. it's what's making things tick. And I think mm. if you understood that better at a you know your very early years as a mm. high school or, or whatever, I think you know you would be in a much better place. Mm. Do you think a university
0: education is required nowadays? No. I mean, I, I I could
1: answer it as... as. No, I didn't even finish that yeah, one and you were I, straight I, I, in there. And do you, know, do you know what? Do you know what? Sorry, that's probably... It isn't for sales, right? If I think yeah. about it, it might. So, so there are obviously... If I think about the journey that I kind, I kind of went on, you know, there are some people who say, all I want to be when I go... I don't mean it all as in a derogatory sense, but they just know they want to be a vet or they just know they want to be a doctor. You know, there is a... Mm-hmm. Certain amount of rightly education process structure, so you know certification, all that kind of stuff you have to go through, and therefore for that type of role, I I totally get it. I think if I think about my journey, you know, I I went to said Leeds. I went there primarily for a social scene. I did a a business and management course which is the go-to default course for people who don't know what they want to do you know let's be honest I think it was like one of the most the biggest course in Leeds when I went like 20 or thousand people doing it and, and that's because I didn't I, I wasn't clearly or well sure what else I wanted to do you know at that point I just knew that you went to uni and you know my friends sure. were going to uni and I wanted to have a, a good time and the only thing that uni is other than the social and you know the people and all that kind of thing you know, in terms of the actual career path I'm on today, you know, I remember I'd, I'd been to, you know, i got two warm business studies, did okay, went traveling for a bit, thought I need to come home, I need to get a proper job or at least, you know, I was pretty skin at the time, needed to, to do something. Went to a job fair and it was like, you know, are you a grad? Yes, sign your name here. No idea what you're signing up to. Mm. You know, it turns out it was one of these kind of sales recruiters who, um got the call next day, had nothing else going on and, you know, progressed through that. They offered me a job, said, no, the within like two or three days, they placed me within the organization that I referred to before. So Mm. if I wasn't, if I wasn't a grad, I wouldn't have got that because Mm. the role at that time was only open to the graduates. Um, The actual educational element of the course I did, you know, I, I use, you know, very, very little of that, if any of that, and haven't used any of that for, for a long time. Did it help me with team building? Yes. Speaking to people you don't know Yeah, you know, all that kind of more um, softer skills, if you want to call mm. it that, was definitely developed there, but I, I wouldn't see it as an essential necessity. Mm.
0: But given the choice, and I'm not trying to put words in your mouth between, say somebody who's 18 and calls you up directly and says, look, I'm not going to college, give me a database, give me a telephone, and I'll call yeah. anyone. Yeah. That yeah. person versus dipping into the pool of the graduate market.
1: And- um, I, I mean, interestingly, I know, you know, in that type of scenario, I'd probably be trying to do both, right? I think you don't know what you don't know. You don't know what doesn't work, especially if you're in that type of organization. You, you kind of, you're willing to try a lot of things, but I certainly wouldn't, if that person contacted me, the fact that they hadn't been to university wouldn't cross my mind. You know, you yeah. obviously want them to have a level of, and, and we talk about it a lot, and it is a requirement for creativity. You know, there is a level, a level of cognitive intelligence, you know, and you don't have mm. to go to university to get that. You know, it's more around your experiences and how you think and how you're wired and you know, people can score really highly, but are not necessarily mm. educated through the system, if you, if you want to say that. Mm
0: a okay. uh, couple of quick questions left for you, Andy. I'm conscious of time. What do you like to do to unwind and relax?
1: I really struggle to unwind and relax. First and <laughs> foremost, that is—it's a very, very current thing for me at the moment. That because uh, with that, with a plus a five-month-old, you know, sleep is a is a is a rare is a bit of a rare thing. But um, I, I like to go on holiday. You know, I like to socialise. Um, you know spend time with family spend time with friends um i probably i am someone who takes work home with them in a sense of you know i I do think about it all the time you you know you you wish you didn't sometimes but it's just the way i'm probably probably wired i tried to change that and i made conscious efforts over time to try and change that but it kind of got to a point where then i just accepted it because i think it was just part of what kind of you know i i would never do a job where i leave the proverbial office i know it's different with current way of working but you know i'd never do a job where you leave the office and that's it you know you, you kind of don't think about it until you go in the next day so therefore why shouldn't i expect to have this thought or pressure or putting pressure on myself as well to be able to
0: yeah that, okay that raises an interesting one because I, there was a company i must be a year ago saw them on linkedin i would know some people at this place and uh, they, they gave their employees an entire week off and it was for downtime. Yeah. And the people on LinkedIn were saying, this is fantastic. We're going to do nothing. And I'm thinking, man, now I, I want to get your opinion on this. My thoughts were, man, you're naive because the ambitious people in that organization, I know how I would be using that week. I'd be using that week to get an edge on everybody else. And, yeah. and, and I would continue to work. I wouldn't be posting about it. the 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 comment that came back and i made and i made a comment to that effect that that said you know is everybody going to do this and it was kind of like no paul you don't understand times have changed you know it's different generation i go is it really i don't know i'm just curious what your own thoughts on that in terms of that downtime and ambition
1: if i if that happened to me today i would start to think about how much i'd have to do when i got back as in what what am I not going to be able to do this week that I'm then going to have to catch up with next week, so I think I, I mean i have a i probably obviously it's a conscious decision I made, but you know i'm I'm in a smaller organization where our focus is about getting our business to the next level you know mm. we are some of the things around the edges, if you want to call it that you know they're're they're not a secondary thought, but we've got to earn the right to have that type of type of thing. I think you know where in a bigger business where for example the whole thing can shut down for a week and there are very little knock-on repercussions on workload customers you know things if you're in sales especially your deals don't just shut off for a week you know what Mm. what do you do in that week Uh, you know it would I would find myself working to some capacity Mm. Um, and I think that kind of you know I've seen things around trialing four-day weeks all this kind of stuff we are talking about at the moment and homeworking and people shouldn't be sending emails at this time and people bosses, you know, shouldn't be sending emails at that time. I, I just fundamentally disagree with all of that. I oh. think, I think with where we are today, you know, the flexibility has got to work both ways. You know, you talk about people saying I get to drop my kids off at school and log on at 10, you know, you've got to be expected to or expect to make the time back and when else are you yeah. going to make the time back other than either before or after what yeah. is nine to five? I think, you know, nine to five is dead, but, um, and that that I think that just comes to a dry, from a drive perspective, and it's it's an important point because if I think about again the type of people I'm trying to recruit now, mm. you know I I need people who would whilst they would see that as an opportunity for some downtime in some capacity, they'd be thinking what impact is this going to have in you know my earnings and my deals and my opportunities and a lot yeah, yeah. of stuff. Yeah, for
0: sure. Um, if your house was burning down, Andy, and your family are absolutely safe and your computer and your phone are safe and you had time to run back in and just grab one object, what would it be and why?
1: <laughs> um, that's a really, really, really tough question. Actually. I'd probably have to say, I mean, I've got a cat, so, you know, I don't know whether a cat is part of the family point. Well, or... oh, they are. Pa- I should have said pets as yeah. well. Yeah, no, they're, they're yeah. all safe. Um, in terms of the house, um, I mean, there's things we've got around memories. you know, there, there are things in the house that, you know, have a sentimental value to a degree. And that could be, um, you know, things with my little boy, things with my, you know, my, my other half and, you know, the experiences oh. that we've been through together, um, both me and her. Um, there's I'll just any, one,
0: though. You're only allowed one. Is there something um, that
1: springs to mind? I probably struggle with that. I think I struggle okay. with that. I just, cause there, are just, you know, I've just got a collection of things that hold sentimental value yeah. to some degree. I think, I think, um, you know, I kind of mentioned before, uh, you know, I am, I am very, I'm not a materialistic person in any stretch of the imagination. You know, there's nothing, uh, there's nothing of any real expensive value in my house that I feel like I would need to save in that situation. You know, I love my car, I suppose, you know, if you can grab your car keys and go and get there and that's, Maybe one thing, but that's um, I think clutching at straws a little bit. It's um, it, it's just things that would remind me of good times with with family.
0: Fair enough. Um, when your time on this planet is done, Andy, and somebody writes decides to write a book about your life, what would you like the title to be, and why?
1: Um, what would I like the title to be? I think made a difference. You know, I I think, and that's not, you know, I don't I don't have aspirations to change the world, or you know, I don't think like that right now. I, you know, I have a goal that I'm I'm focused on, but you know, again, you've probably got a sense of a big part of my motivation is creating something out of nothing, or taking something anyway that's really small into something that that has a major impact. And you know, where if I think about my professional career and professional sense of things, you know, we've, I'd probably say a common theme within the businesses I've worked for is disruption. You know, how, how can we be disruptive to what are your relatively regimented, inflexible, quite boring in some instances, right? You know, industries that, that we're trying to shake up. And, you know, that's definitely been the case in definitely the case of where I am today and and was the case kind of in the early years of of where I was previously. So just just making a difference in, in that sense is important.
0: Fascinating. Andy, I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. I want to thank you so much for being my guest on the podcast today. Perfect.
1: Cheers, Paul.